This episode is brought to you by Harry's. Harry sent me a razor starter kit recently to try, and I put it to use very quickly because I keep myself clean shaven. In fact, I pretty much shave every single day because I have lots of facial hair. It grows back very quickly, and it's also really thick, and it hurts a lot when I shave normally, with a bad razor at least. So I've been using Harry's razors for like a week now. They're very nice. It's a five-blade razor, and I have to say, it really does effortlessly shave through my normally very annoying facial hair. It doesn't hurt one bit, no tugging, anything like that. And it stayed sharp the entire time as well. I'm very impressed so far. It also has kind of a good weight to it. It's like heavier than normal. I don't know. It's like, it's just got a good weight to it. I really like that. I didn't know I liked it before, but now I know I like it. I also really liked the shaving cream just because it smells really good. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by questionable shaving products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. Harry's has a customizable delivery option for scheduled refills as low as $2, half of what you pay from other big brands. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com otherworld. That's harrys.com slash otherworld for a $3 trial set. I have always wished that my Spanish was better. Living in Southern California and going to Mexico a lot for surfing, weekend trips, stuff like that. It's just very handy. I took three years of it in high school, but I really didn't learn that much from the books. I basically only got really good at asking various types of people where the library is located, which turns out to be not a phrase you use that often when you're on vacation. Rosetta Stone is a much more organic and easy way to learn a new language because it really immerses you in that language. It's the most trusted language learning program available on desktop, and also it has an app. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Like I said, it's fast language acquisition because it really immerses you in the language. There's no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. They also have speech recognition features like True Accent, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's also an amazing value. They offer a lifetime membership, which includes all 25 languages, which is perfect for any and all trips you might have in your future with various languages you might want to learn. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Otherworld listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com otherworld today. Welcome to Otherworld. I'm your host, Jack Wagner. So I've been sitting here for quite a while trying to figure out how I'm going to introduce this episode because there's a lot of ways to interpret this story you're about to hear. And I think everybody's going to have their own very unique reaction to it. Me personally, I find the story very profound and I've been thinking about it a lot ever since I did this interview. You know, I of course love hearing paranormal stories, but for me personally, what I'm most interested in is how these people react to these extreme moments in their life and how these moments factor into their life as they move forward or how they don't factor in. And I think this is a very interesting case of that for me, at least. But I anticipate that everybody's gonna have their own reaction. And 
I think that's good. So it's probably best if I just start this one out and let the person tell the story themselves. This comes from a guy named Russell. He's a woodworker and he's actually been working since he was 13 years old, believe it or not. His dad owned a construction company and he's been doing construction since he was old enough to be out there. Very hardworking guy, serious, by the book, numbers type guy, not a type of dude you would expect to be emailing a paranormal podcast. And I'm pretty sure that Russell himself was very surprised to find himself emailing me. So I think you're really gonna enjoy this story It's best if I let him explain it himself. This is episode 16. The title is Everything Goes Black. And you're listening to Otherworld. Hello? Yes, I'm here. We're still at the Yeah, let us us know when you're ready. Okay, okay. um... Stop pulling the Pacific Island. This is a story about... So hello, uh, my name is Russell Wild, and um, I experienced a pretty interesting day um, once when I was uh, 14 years old. Um, I have been working since I was about 13 years old, uh, mainly doing, like when I was 13, obviously couldn't get a job at a restaurant or anything. So I would do, I would like mow lawns, um, I would help out uh doing like random trade work, like as like a general laborer, things like that, just because I always loved being able to have my own money and being able to spend it how I wanted to. Um, During the school years, I would always have a job and then I would save up all of my money during the school year. And then during the summer where a lot of my friends were um, doing things, uh, you know, like hanging out with friends or like going to the skate park and stuff, I would just blow all my money on and go somewhere and do something, you know, like, uh, mainly I did that like whenever I was in high school, but before that, I just have just always been working. It's something I kind of like pride myself in. But when I was uh, 14 years old, my dad was a co-owner of a company known as Blackfoot Resource Group. And what this company did was they would clear land, um, for basically like large scale building projects. Um, think of it as like cul-de-sacs, giant mansions out in the middle of nowhere, um, all types of different types of housing developments, golf courses, um, but mainly those two, like golf courses and large-scale housing developments. And uh, I started working with him just because mainly I wanted to start learning how to use heavy machinery. Uh, I'd never done that before. And usually I wouldn't work over the summer. Usually I would just spend all my money over the summer. But uh, he talked me into working with him over the summer and... um, he said, you know, we'll travel a lot, uh, mainly, you know, around the South, but uh, you get paid really, really good money. I think I was the only 14-year-old that was making, you know, right around $880 every two weeks, I think is like what my pay rate was, all under the table, of course. But um, I thought it was a good opportunity because I really wanted to learn how to use like bulldozers, front-end loaders, and like, track hose and things like that. And um, so I took him up on it and uh started becoming like really really fun especially just being able to just be out in the middle of nowhere 24 7 and um 
kind of having time to myself, just listening to music, driving around and doing what was needed. Uh, my main job that I did uh, while in between like learning how to use machines and everything is that uh, I was basically um, a fire manager. So what we would do is whenever we would clear land, so we would start off, imagine like a giant, huge swath of, uh, of like forest that they want to um, develop and turn into um, a housing development of some kind. We would go in and first we would clear um, all of the trees and make roads according to, you know, where the, uh, the like architects and the surveyors uh, said that we needed to. And we would clear all those trees out. And the trees that were big enough, we would um, sell to lumber yards or um, people that owned like mulch companies and things like that. And then the trees that were too small to sell for lumber, we would always just pile them in these large uh, giant piles and then we would set them on fire and we'd just burn them. I don't necessarily know if that's the most, if that's the best way to go about doing it, but that's just what my dad's company did. And uh, it was me and the other co-owner's son, his name was Little Robert. And my name is Little Russell because we're both named after our fathers. And um, we would just drive around on this three-wheeler that had a diesel tank uh, attached to the back of it. And we would either manage the fires, make sure that they're going, keeping them burning, and um, also making sure to check them to see if there was any type of spread or anything like that. We would, you know, um, throw water on them if they were getting a little too big. We would pour a little bit of diesel on them to get them to... Um, pick back up to kind of burn a little bit quicker. And then we would also refuel machines depending on where anybody was at on these like really, really large, large plots of land. And so that was pretty much what we did. We would make a route, um, know where all of our burn piles are. We would drive around all day, just checking on a pile, moving on to the next one, checking on it, moving on to the next one. Uh, somebody would come in on a walkie-talkie and be like, hey, the front-end loader is about to be out of juice. Can you come and fill it up? If the diesel tank ran out, we would go back to uh, what would be like basically home base. So um, a lot of the times, especially in some of the more remote uh, plots of land, instead of having all of us rent hotels and everything, because we would work on week-on, week-off schedules. So you would work for a week and then you would go home for a week. Uh, it was time, a lot of easier to uh, rent these mobile homes or like these small mobile homes and they would uh, drive them out and basically put them in the middle of the property. And that's where everybody kind of lived and stayed um, was on these little mobile homes. And um, that way we didn't have to drive every single night, you know, sometimes anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes to get to the closest, uh, you know, hotel. At the, the, this particular day that I'm talking about uh, was uh, taking place in like Okefenokee, Georgia. We were on this large property of land, a lot of, uh, not necessarily so much marshy, but there had uh, definitely like heavy um, cedar and cypress area. And there had been plans that the center of the property, there was going to be a large lake, a man-made lake that, that we were in the process of digging out. And then a bunch of roads that had just been cleared and we had just uh, laid down dirt, basically making them almost, if you've ever been in like a national park, they basically just looked like access roads at this point. And then we were slowly uh, carving out all of the different plots for all of the different houses that were going to be there. Our route was on this big basic loop. Actually, it was... Yeah, big, huge loop that would go around the perimeter of the property and then was intersected by other different access roads and planned, uh, planned roads that were going to be developed um, way, way later on. 
And um, it was about, I would say, um, probably about like 3, 3.30 that we were on the southern side of the property and we were kind of just looking at this fire. We had just um, added a little bit of diesel to it and we were kind of just sitting there making sure that we were looking at it um, for a little while until we moved on to the next one to make sure that it wasn't going to jump. If there was any like loose leaves or anything like that, we would rake it around the fire to make sure there was only dirt and trying to basically separate any type of uh, fire line that might, might start. And I'm sitting on this three-wheeler um, and uh, little Robert is in front of me and he's kind of like looking at the fire pit and he gets uh, a blurb on the walkie-talkie and it's my dad and he's basically saying I don't know if you guys can see it but we just uh, noticed that there's going to be a huge storm heading in and we don't work in the in the rain, you know, just because it, it makes everything that much more difficult. And so he said, this one's probably going to be, looks like it's going to be pretty big. So you guys, we're just going to cut it for the day. Um, just head back to the mobile home. We're going to start making uh, dinner early for everybody. And, um, and you know, that's pretty much it. Just, just head back onto the house. And as soon as I, uh, I was like, uh, I went and I was like talking to him on the walkie-talkie, and I look at the walkie-talkie, and it says 3:45 on the on the walkie-talkie, and I turn around, looking at the southern side of the field, and it is definitely one of the largest storms I've ever seen. And I grew up in Florida, so, um, but it was just it was coming up over the tree line on the far, far, far other side of the field, but it was just huge. It was the it was taking up all the sky. It was just these giant, thick, heavy, dark clouds. And there's lots of thunder. I can see lightning every once in a while. And, and, uh, and so um, we hop on the three-wheeler and we start barreling down uh, this access road. And Robert would always, always speed on a three-wheeler. And it freaked me out. <laughs> like, like nobody's business, especially like any hill you jump over, my seat, my butt would get lifted up off the back of the three-wheeler and like slam back down. And we are, there's plenty of times where he would like take a turn. And, and if, if anybody is familiar with three-wheelers, if you're going really fast and you take a turn too quickly, the first thing that thing's going to do is just immediately flip over and you're going to tumble off into who knows what. And so he would literally hit a turn quick, just quick enough to where he would like lean over and he, he would like ride ride on two wheels for a little while and then and freak me out and then jump it back down so needless to say he's just hauling butt down this road and i'm gripping on to the uh the shoulders of his shirt and i start immediately feeling raindrops and these raindrops were like huge you know they were like pelting my back and my neck they like i could it, it was very heavy rain, you know, it was like almost I was like starting to get a back massage and it all basically came at once. It was like a, a, a curtain of water just zoomed over us. And now we're just in, in, in just constant, like super, super, super heavy rain. And the road um, immediately uh, begins to get like super muddy and mud is flying up. And it's getting all over my clothes, all over his clothes. And I'm trying to tell him, like, you know, like, slow down. I, I can't see anything. And he's like, don't worry about it. I know what I'm doing. And it was just it was just so hard to see just because, one, you have rain hitting in your face. You have mud flying up. And, and he's just gunning because he wanted to get out of the storm and he wanted to get home. And... 
there's a turn that's coming up and as soon as uh, I guess he didn't see it because he would you know obviously he couldn't you know but there's what looked to be like a very like large log or, or, or tree limb um, that had basically I guess fallen you know right right around that moment of the storm I'd never seen it before in the road and we usually you know anytime we would drive down the road and we'd see something laying in the street we'd pick it up and toss it off so I guess it would it had fallen just recently from the storm but um but yeah, he didn't see it, and I remember, like, I remember the front of the three wheeler, you know, basically hitting this log, and I go off into the air. I see the the grass and the bushes and the dirt, and, like, just flying underneath me because I was I was up in the air, and it's the last thing that I I, uh, I truly remember. And as I uh, as my body's flying through the air. It begins. I begin to to it begin to twist, and my head begins to turn up towards the sky. And for just a moment, I can see like the trees and and the sky, and then everything just goes black. And I I, uh, I wrecked. <laughs> I guess the um, the next thing that I remember is basically like becoming aware that I was still laying, you know, I was, I was like, uh, I was awake, I guess, but my eyes currently weren't open, but I could see, you know, with my eyes closed, you know, you can see like the sun whenever it, it reflects through your eyes and your eyes are all orangey and yellow whenever you close your eyes, you know? And I, and that was the first thing that I, that I like uh, consciously remember was like uh, the sun, like hitting my eyes and, and I open my eyes and I can feel my hands, in, in, in grass and I am like feeling with my hands. And one of the first things I notice is that like nothing's wet. And I like the, the dirt in my hands was very dry, like extremely dry. And I sit up and I'm in uh, like about knee high, tall uh, grass and shrubs. And I'm looking around and this is, there's no storm. There is, it's a bluebird day, you know, the sun is, is out and there, I can hear birds. I can hear, um, you know, mosquitoes and flies buzzing around and, and I'm on the side of the road and I look, uh, uh, the first thing that I take notice of, you know, is the, the three-wheeler and it's actually just parked right on the side of the road and it's still running. And it's not, you know, broken. It's not like disheveled or covered in mud or anything like that. Um, and it's just sitting there. It's just running. And I turn my head around me and behind me where, because um, I literally, I was laying down and I just sat up like I'm still like sitting on my butt. And right behind me um, was a, uh, was a tree branch. It was like a tree limb, like a very large tree limb. You know, I, I, I stand up. And I'm trying to like feel my body, trying to figure everything out. And I don't feel any physical pain. Um, I'm not bleeding. My clothes aren't disgusting and muddy, you know? The only thing that was really uh, different was that I had a bunch of grass on my butt, you know, from from the grass. And right at that moment, um, I see little Robert coming out of the woods from the opposite side of the road. And he's, uh, and he's like buckling up his pants and I run over to him and, and I'm just like, are you okay? You know, oh my God, like what happened to you? You know, like what happened to the storm? You, what are we, 
uh, I'm very confused. <laughs> and uh, he looks at me like I'm absolutely crazy. Um, and he's just, he's like, what are you talking about? You know, I, I just had to go pee real quick. What are you doing laying in the grass? And I'm extremely perplexed. I'm extremely freaked out. And so I ask him for the walkie-talkie. And I grab the walkie-talkie to walkie-talkie my dad. And as soon as I grab the walkie-talkie, on the screen of, of the walkie-talkie, the first thing that happens whenever you light it up is that, that it shows the time first. I look at the, the walkie-talkie, and it says 2.36 p.m., which, again, did not make any sense to me whenever the last time that I looked at the walkie-talkie, it said 3.45. And so I hit up my dad, and, and I'm asking him, you know, like, are you still at home base? Did the storm pass? We got in a wreck, you know? Um, and he is asking me, he's like, what storm are you talking about? You know, and I was like, you, the storm, the big, huge storm. Like, there was, you know, and as I'm talking to him, I'm saying this, I'm like looking around, and, you know, the, the road is dry. There is... There's no dew on anything, you know? There's no storm clouds overhead. Everything is just completely clear. And it's like a normal day. And um, my dad basically was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. If you're not feeling okay, you know, come back to the house and, you know, we'll talk. But uh, why don't you stop? Like, and I think what he really thought was maybe I was messing around with him or something. Later on, um, I asked him about that, and um, he basically was just like, you know, we still got we still got work to do, and it's, the day's not over, and so I had to work the whole entire rest of that day. And um, later on in the day, when we're eating dinner, I'm constantly asking, you know, everybody, like, no, this happened, you know, like I was in a wreck, and everybody just keeps looking at me like I'm a crazy person, and um, and I, you know, yeah, that's that's pretty much like the end of, of like the story uh, part of it, but I've just, I've, I've never had an answer. I have um, never been able to figure out exactly how I was, I experienced something, you know, and um, I should have, you know, I, sh I should have had a broken limb, you know, I should have had a, a concussion by the very least, you know, and, and, you know, asking my dad about it, he basically, is, he's kind of under the impression of maybe I had a concussion. And, you know, whenever I go into him with all the details and everything, he basically said that, you know, whenever Robert hopped off of the three-wheeler to, uh, to, go, to go take a leak out in the woods, I must have, must have uh, hopped off the three-wheeler and, you know, did something on the other side and tripped and fall and hit my head. And... Um, maybe suffered some type of concussion that changed my memories of the whole entire event. But it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because, and, and how could I have, you know, had a concussion, woken up from it and been perfectly fine and coherent afterwards with only the span of about two minutes, which was what Robert said was the only time that he was away from me, you know, cause he said, you know, I had to take a pee. So I stopped the thriller, hopped off to go take a leak and I came back and you were running through the grass like a crazy person asking me about some some storm, you know? And um, yeah, and so like, yeah, to this day, I, had, I have no idea what happened, but 
it did happen to me. You know, I, I remember the day and in, uh, incredibly, incredibly well. And um, it's just something I've never been able to have an explanation for. Um, as far as, you know, like all the events leading up till that moment, um, everything else, according to talking with Robert, happened the exact same, except whenever we were on the south side of the property, you know, he remembers, uh, you know, that particular uh, fire patch. And he said, all we did was, you know, we threw some diesel on it. We looked at it for a little while. And then, um, and then we left and we started going along the route, which is along the northeast side of, uh, of the, of the uh, plot of land. And even that, to me, also doesn't make any sense at all, because if I looked at that walkie-talkie and it said 345, how come the next time that I looked at it, it said 236? And um, there's just a lot of things that don't make sense about the whole entire ordeal, mainly that everybody that I've ever talked to about it that was there that day, or um, little Robert in particular, just say that that never happened. Okay, so this is a very strange story, and for that reason, I'm sure everybody has a ton of questions. I certainly did. That's why the second half of this episode is going to be me asking Russell a lot of those questions. I don't know if we're ever going to have all the answers to what happened. If you ask me personally, I don't think it matters if we have all of the answers. My opinion is that Russell, to Russell, he was given a second chance. And I, I personally think it would be best if he just took that as a gift and carried on with his life. That being said, I don't think human nature allows us to simply do that. We always have a ton of questions. We always want to explain things away. That's just kind of how we are, unfortunately. We tend to focus on the bad and ignore the good, usually, or forget about it. Um, so I had a ton of questions for Russell this is an edited down version of those questions. I included the most relevant answers. I try to include all of the relevant answers. But just so you know, there's obviously a million questions I asked him that weren't included because they didn't have an answer or the answer was not helpful. Okay, we have to take a quick break, but we will be right back. Springtime is here. I've recently had all of my windows open, letting in the breeze, the smell of fresh flowers blooming all over my neighborhood. This is what a house should smell like. It should not smell like your cat's litter box. Thankfully, Pretty Litter makes that very easy. Nothing beats Pretty Litter's ability to instantly trap odor. It's ultra-absorbent, lightweight, low dust, and one six-pound bag works for up to a month. It also gives me peace of mind knowing Pretty Litter's crystals change color to indicate early signs of potential illness in my cat, like urinary tract infections, kidney issues, and more. This is especially useful now that my cat is hanging out constantly by our screen door, getting visitations from coyotes, raccoons, squirrels, other cats, who knows what else. So it's very helpful knowing that if he picks up anything weird from them, I'll notice right away in his litter. When I first got my cat Merlin, I tried using the cheap cat litter that comes in those huge, giant bags from the pet store. That stuff is awful. Some of it smells worse than the smells it's supposed to be covering up. 
It does not have to be like that. There's a better way to live. There's no reason for your house to smell like your cat's litter box. If your house smells like a cat's litter box, that's on you. That's not on your cat. Pretty Litter is amazing. You should give it a try. Go to prettylitter.com slash otherworld to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. That's prettylitter.com slash otherworld to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Otherworld listeners. I'm excited to tell you about a show that I love and I think you're going to love as well. It's called Sophia with an F, starring Sophia Franklin. This show is about as different from Otherworld as a show could possibly be, which is why I think many people were very, very shocked when I got invited on as a guest around Halloween. It was really the crossover that nobody expected. I'll never forget the day my episode came out and every single one of my college-age cousins texted me all at the same time. Very confused, but also very excited. It was nice to hear from all of them, though, and uh, finally get some respect. I had a great time on the show. Sophia is really down-to-earth, which is why I think her interviews are so good. We talked about Otherworld, the paranormal, getting into this whole thing unexpectedly, as I did, and a lot of other stuff that I think normally does not get discussed on Sophia with an F. Normally in the show, Sophia Franklin goes deep on sex, life, mental health, relationships, and everything in between. You could get Sophia all to yourself every Monday for solo mini-episodes and every Thursday with her ride-or-die best friends, experts, and some famous guests on a host of other topics, topics that are not safe for the dinner table, from foursomes and sugar daddies to wild sexcapades and tips for keeping things fresh in the bedroom. It's raw and laugh-out-loud funny, no borders and no filters. My personal favorite is the episode with Walk a Flock of Flame, if you want somewhere to start. Listen to and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, let's get back into it. Okay, I have a lot of questions. Totally. (laughs) So... This is not what I want to ask first, but I think we need to tackle it first because this is what everybody's going to be asking. The log. You pointed out the log. Um, how big was the log? Yeah, like, like, and this is just me, you know. Um, I, like I said, I'm a woodworker, so you learn how to, like, eyeball lengths, you know. Uh, but it was about as a little bit thicker than my thigh, you know. It was, it's not necessarily, like, um, like a log that you lay down to chop other wood on top of, you know? So it's not necessarily anything like that large, but it was large enough to where that type of break on it, you know, wouldn't make sense um, to me, at least, you know, like thinking about it in hindsight, like wood doesn't break like that, you know, unless it's like petrified or something, you know, uh, that's the only time that you try to see like that, that jaggy, like rock, like crack, you know, but it was literally just poof, cracked open it was it was it, was it cracked in half yes it was completely cracked in half and it was indented into the into the ground like ever so slightly you know but it also you know it didn't and i, I don't necessarily know if i can like say this uh, with 100 percent certainty just because i'm you know i am like talking about a memory but from the way that it looked it didn't look like it was just there you know it looked like it had been there for a while you know it wasn't like any type of debris or anything like that that made it look like it had fallen there it looked like it well i mean obviously it had fallen there but was there a tree nearby um there are so many trees nearby oh okay Uh, there's like forests yeah there's like forests on opposite side um mainly like pine and cedar i believe my next question was going to be if it looked like it had been there because you could kind of yes 
it did so, look like it had been there for a while. So it didn't look like I like like it wouldn't have looked like my head had been the one that had broken that limb, you know. Um, and, and it also, looked like it had been there, so you could have just as easily laid down and been like, "Hey, I'm going to rest my head on this. Use a log as a pillow." Totally, totally, yeah. And it would have been about that that size to where I could have laid down and like rested my head on it, but um, definitely it's, thick enough, like I said, to where you couldn't just break it your with your own two hands or you know uh, it would have it would have been a lot of force to be able to just break something like that that was that thick you know i yeah cuz i know that that's what people are going to jump to but i don't think that's the case for a few reasons but mainly you are you're construct you've done construction obviously you worked for this company um mm-hmm. or you're a woodworker now, you know wood, and you saw this log, and you know that if this log hit a 14-year-old boy in the head, it would at least hurt, if not kill you. Yeah, no, at the very, very least, it would have definitely hurt, and for my little boy noggin, you know, to be able to hit it with that amount of force, um, at the very least there would have been blood and yeah, no, a very serious concussion, you know, um, did you have not pain? like my brain would have been splattered. No, I had no pain. Like I said, I was perfectly fine. I, um, I felt extremely coherent, you know, um, besides the fact that, you know, obviously things weren't adding up in that regard, you know, but I didn't have any bruises and, and the, with the amount that I flew, Cause I like, I remember going into the air and like, like I said, the last, like some of the last things that I saw was the, 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 like the grass and the bushes, like zooming underneath me. And then my body turned in a counterclockwise motion right toward right before I blacked out. So I remember spinning kind of a little bit to, to the counterclockwise. And I kind of remember seeing like the tops of the trees and then like the stormy sky. And then that's like right before I blacked out, um, and so that amount of speed, you know, like, like I, we weren't wearing helmets, you know what I mean? We didn't, we didn't even, we didn't barely wear eye protection, you know? Um, so if I was fly, if I got thrown from that thriller, cause we were, we were hauling, you know, we were trying to like, Robert wanted to get home, you know, he did not want to be wet and the amount that it was raining, it was just, it was so much rain. I've never... I mean, I've grown up in Florida all my life and you have all day rainstorms, you know, sometimes multiple days where it'll just be raining the whole entire time, but not like, like the best way that I could describe it is like, you know how whenever Forrest Gump starts in the movie Forrest Gump and he starts talking about all the different types of rain, you know, Mm -hmm. and and like this was big, heavy rain (laughs) in his words, you know, it was just, it was so much rain and, um, yeah, and, I, and and if and I got thrown because we were we were hauling. So if 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 I did hit it, right, there's no way that I could have just got up without even a bruise. Like I said, I didn't I didn't have a bruise. There was no blood. I didn't have a headache. I didn't have anything. It was like I woke up from a nap. You know, I could tell I could tell how vivid of a memory this is because you're still eliminating the possibility that like the crash did happen to you. Like you're still in the mindset that maybe it did. Because you're saying, no, like, I, I, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. It, and I know because, no. like that, that was your day. Like that was the day. It, did it? Did it? It seems to me that it feels like you lived this certain day and then jumped into a different timeline. Is that correct? Yeah, that's uh, that's like I guess the way that you could definitely put it. Yeah, is that I remember 
you know, all of the events that led up to it. And it was, just, like I said, it was just a normal, boring day um, beforehand, you know? And, and, it's, and then all of a sudden, you know, my dad comes on the walkie-talkie and he's like, hey, there's this big storm coming in. And then I turn around and literally it's just right over the tree line on the far other side of this large hay field, you know? And, um, and then at that point, you know, my brain kind of got sidetracked because Robert's like, let's get, let's get, let's get on the bike. Let's go. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to have to ride through the rain. And, um, and it was moving so fast because we were on three wheeler for, I guess, maybe, maybe 10 minutes maybe 10 minutes before it just came over us like a curtain. And it was just all of a sudden, boom, rain everywhere, thunder, um, lightning. And, um, and then, yeah, and then we hit that log. And the log also, when, another thing, like when I woke up, the log was gone. That, that log that was in the road wasn't even there. Were you in the same and, area um, when you woke up? Yes, yes. Well, well, I wouldn't say, like, if anything, I was a little bit... Um, after that curve where we hit the log, you know? Oh, and, that's, uh, that's interesting yeah, because you... Not like a large distance though, you know? Like if I was, if I, if I could think about it anyway, if, if I was to get thrown from, from, from that three-wheeler, right? I would have, I would have, I woke up probably like where I would assume I would have landed, you know? Cause I got thrown off to the right. And, um, and it was like kind of pretty much like right on the other side of the turn. But... That's interesting because you, let's, by the way, just for the sake of ease, let's call the timeline where you were in the storm, like that day, let's call that timeline one. And timeline yeah. two is whatever Robert Jr. Mm-hmm. lived. And everybody else was in timeline two. You woke up in timeline two. Let's just say that. Yes. Um, yeah. So I find it interesting because in timeline one, that started, where it started to stray off, that was in a way different area and you rode through chaos and rain and ended up exactly in the same spot where you woke up in timeline two. Mm-hmm. Which but earlier in the day. <laughs> earlier <laughs> in the day. The, so Yeah, another thing that makes no more no sense at all to me, you know. So that leads me to my other question of when do you think these timelines went out of sync? Like was is there a point where your day and Robert Jr.'s day matches up like the morning. Yeah, um, I actually, uh, I actually called him about this because <laughs> I haven't talked to him in 13 years. But I uh, called him and had a very fun, awkward conversation, having to make him try and like relive this whole experience. But uh, basically, we remember everything um, pretty much the exact same way, um, leading up right until we took that uh, that break. Um, at the uh, at the southern side of the field, we'll call it like burn pile um, one, basically. And um, and he says like the, the only kind of like real difference was um, he said that we didn't spend a lot of time there. Like we went there, we did you know we checked on it, threw a little bit of diesel on it, sat there for maybe you know a minute to two two minutes, making sure that it's you know burning okay and like small, you know, because we didn't ever want. Whenever you're doing this, like these burn piles, you don't want the flames to be large. You want them to be burning in the center and you want it to be low fire and and slowly burning as everything kind of collapses in on it. And um, so we just made sure that there wasn't any like embers that were going to be like lifting off anytime soon or anything like that. And, you know, um, raked it out a little bit and then we, you know, left. But 
to my memory, we were kind of hanging out there for a little while because he had to um, manage it a little bit more because it wasn't it wasn't like it was completely out when we got there. And so we were hanging out there for a little bit more longer of time. And then my dad hits me up on the walkie-talkie and, you know, the, the, everything continues after that. But it, that's to me, that even kind of adds more confusion to the thing because of the whole time difference, you know. If when I checked that walkie-talkie, it was 345. And then when I checked it the second time, it was 236. Like, I can't do that math in my head, but it's roughly right around anywhere between 30 to 45-minute difference, you know. So that difference is about how long you would have stayed at that burn pile, like kind of tending to it, maybe? Um, In normal circumstances, no, not unless it needed to be micromanaged, you know. Um, Like sometimes you would hang out at a burn pile just because there's a lot more leaves, you know, on the pile. But in your memory? Kind of comfortable. In In my memory, we were hanging out there for, I would say, maybe... Maybe eight to ten minutes. Okay. We were h- hanging out there before I got hit up on the walkie-talkie about the storm. So, but when you saw the time for the storm, did that mm-hmm. time make sense to you? Yes, that time made total sense to me. And we had been, um, as far as everything else throughout that entirety of the day, you know, everything was moving accordingly. But you know. Um, I guess, like, in timeline two, you know, which is Little Robert's timeline, um, everything just moved that much quicker, if that makes sense. You know, like, I I don't have an, uh, that's another, like, I just don't have an explanation for why it was 345 when I looked at the walkie-talkie. Um, and then two, 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 yeah, to like 236, I believe, uh, whenever I looked at it the second time. Um it doesn't make sense if if everything was happening in the same moments leading up to this time. Why is there that big of a time difference? And um, the only explanation that I could have is if we're talking about them, these two timelines like moving in sync with one another. You know, is that everything that happened in Robert and Little Robert's timeline, both of, you know the timeline too, it is better, um, just happened that much quicker. You know, like in the in the cabinetry world, um, if you ever look at cabinet doors, right, um, there's, these, there's reveals that we call them reveals um, that are in between each door, you know, and usually the standard is like an eighth inch reveal. So in between each cabinet door, there's about an eighth. And whenever you're installing cabinet doors and you have to cal- and you're, and you're um, basically like adjusting them so that they all, they all match, you know, um, if you... Uh, if you leave like, you know, like a 30 second extra on the left side of the door and you have like a row of eight, you know, that, uh, that adjustment, right, multiplies after, as you get through every single door. And then once you get to the last door, all of those, all of those uh, 30 seconds of an inch now out add up to that, that last door being like a quarter out of square or something, you know? And so that's the only way that I can maybe like, um, kind of like process that in my head as far as like trying to make sense of it is that everything just happened just to scooch quicker throughout that day to where at the very end of it, whenever I'm now, you know, sitting up in the grass, you know, um, added up to a, uh, a different, a different time. I really like that comparison. It also is just indicative of how you think and how your mind works and, to me, you're so far off from 
the type of person that's vibe based and um, yeah, know, no, kind of floating not. through the world. <laughs> like you know me, I'm I lose track of myself. I lose track of time. I'm in my own head, um, not paying attention to the details sometimes. Um, you do not seem like that type of person. And also, you've had a job since you were 13. It's just does not seem I can eliminate that possibility. Yeah, no, like one of the best things that you can do to ever keep a job is punctuality, you know? So <laughs> I've always been, um, I'm not in any way, shape, or form like a vibe type of person. Uh, I don't like believe in ghosts or anything like that. Um, I am very uh, straight to the point and I look at, like I believe, you know, on what I can test and like what I can, you know, experience and... Um, you know, the, everybody telling, like, my dad mainly being like, oh, you probably just had a weird micro-concussion or something. Like, I would love to believe that, you know, because that's a solid answer. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's that, uh, that the, there's science I can put behind that. And like, oh, okay, that's, that, that's Occam's razor. You know, like, the simplest answer is usually the most, uh, the, the most correct. But I've, you know, I grew, uh, I moved to Colorado um, whenever I turned, um, Whenever I turned 18, after I got done hiking the Appalachian Trail, I was like, I'm never going to live anywhere where there aren't mountains, you know. And so I moved to Colorado and I snowboarded a lot. And I had a lot of friends that got concussions, like my roommate got a concussion and I had to pick him up from the hospital, you know. And there's the there's the constant like reset of memory after you get like a concussion. I only know this from my roommate because like when I had to pick him up from the hospital constantly, the whole entire time I'm like walking him out of the hospital, he kept asking me, he's like, wait, 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 what's going on? Like, where are we at again? And I'm like, dude, you had a concussion. I'm bringing you home. And he'd be like, oh, okay, okay. Was I snowboarding? Yeah, dude, you were snowboarding. Just let's just hop on the bus and let's just go home. And then as soon as we get on the bus, he'd all of a sudden have another freak out. He's like, wait, 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 where are we? What's going on? You know, and I had to constantly retell him, you know, like, hey, you had a concussion, you know, so the only reason why I don't like believe I had a concussion is because it was, it was only two minutes uh, apparently from when Robert saw me, you know, hanging out on the back of the three wheeler, he stops it. He goes off into the woods to go take a piss. And then he comes back and he sees me running uh, out of the grass. You know, it was that short amount of time. So if I did get some type of, of small concussion, you know, one, like how would I be able to wake up from that and still have perfect clarity, you know, and, um, and not, um, well, clarity up into the point that I'm saying, you know, something happened to me that, you know, that nobody else believes, but, uh, but I wouldn't have been able to just jump up and just been perfectly fine. You know, did you have adrenaline? Oh yeah. I think you were still I, rushing I from like, like the crash it, you thought you were in. Yeah. Like, well, not only that, it was like the sheer shock of, of like, just, you know, like you just experienced this. It happened to you. It's in your head, you know, and then you're up and you're trying to figure everything out. Like that type of, that level of, like, I don't necessarily if I would call it a uh, anxiety or anything, you know, but it was just the sheer shock of the switch. You know what I mean? Like my adrenaline was definitely pump pumping and, and it was, um, I would, I would keen it more to just kind of like the panic that I was kind of in because it was just, it, none of it made sense. You know, like I was just there and I was just covered in rain and, and, and mud and I had just flown through the air and, you know, and I had, I had gotten, you know, I had like fallen off the three wheeler before and that alone was just scary enough to me, you know? So that level of, like I said, that thing, it, we hit it fast, you know? 
And, and I got thrown and, um, let me ask you this too. Yeah. The log on the ground, I know people are going to trip up on it. And like, to be, I've personally been able to pretty much eliminate it, but how many logs are in the area where you're at? Is it like a forest? Yeah, it's definitely a forest. Um, so there's logs all over the place. Yeah, yeah, but not necessarily like um, the... So Florida, like forests, there's usually not a lot of like super thick, you know, like old, old, old trees, especially like at least in the area that we were working in, you know. Um, it's more along the lines of like there's these solid little like tight gro- groves um, that, that kind of like grow in the area. Um, I believe if I... If you know, I think it would probably be anywhere like cedar or maybe some more skinny maples um, that were kind of like in the area. And so you wouldn't see like if you're ever if you're if anyone's familiar with like, you know, like hiking around uh, forests, like, for example, like in Colorado, you'll see huge like uh, basically overgrown tree graveyards where there's just a bunch of limbs and, and trunks all stacked like just broken all over top of each other. So it wasn't necessarily like there were logs everywhere, but there weren't logs like that. You know what I mean? It wasn't like thick, huge, like trees that you have to climb over that have fallen, like, you know, who knows how long, you know, it was a lot more sparser, but yeah, there were logs like all throughout the forest area. I'm sure some people might think like, oh, you know, you guys are working with like diesel fumes, like maybe you and, inhaled something like maybe something you're burning um do you think that's a possibility i mean no no i don't think that's a possibility um diesel does one diesel doesn't like work the same way that gasoline does whenever you use it as a um as like an igniter you know it doesn't like explode like gasoline does it, it more along the lines of like just burns a little bit deeper and um the fumes from diesel, like we never, you know, we were never like covered in the stuff or anything like that. We would just um, back the three wheeler up close enough. And then we had a nozzle, like a small little spray nozzle that was hooked up on one side of the tank. And then the other side had basically like what you would see at like a gas station, you know. And um, there's a little motor that's on top of the diesel tank and it basically causes it to uh, give, give you enough pressure to kind of like spray it out. And we never, we would only ever use the, uh, like the gas station style pump to refuel machines. We would use this other, it's like smaller, smaller sprayer. And, um, and we weren't dowsing these things, you know, it was more, you, you spray just a little bit to kind of get a fire going more in the center of, uh, of the burn pile. And then you kind of like let it do its thing. You know, you don't want to just, it's not like we're like driving around the woods willy nilly, just spraying diesel fuel everywhere. You know, it was, uh, you would spray just a little bit, get the fire going and then, you know, kind of let it go. If it started to die, you know, you spray just a little bit more, keep it going again, and then just keep watching it. And you guys were doing this every day too, so it would be yeah, yeah. likely that it would have happened before, or maybe it would have been likely that Russell, little Russell, or a little Rich... Robert. Little Robert. It's <laughs> Russell, Russell Robert, Richard. Man, it's hard, I know, yeah. <laughs> a little, little Robert uh, would have probably experienced the same thing if you guys were inhaling something weird. Oh yeah, totally. No. And, and like, to be like, I know this is going to sound like really gross, but 
I've my dad would tell me stories about how he once caught his uh, workers actually like drinking the diesel fuel to be able to get like drunk off of it. And I don't know if he, that was just a tall tale by him, you know. But if if you can drink it, you know, I don't know necessarily think it would have that in, like kind of instantaneous like psychedelic effect. If anything, if you were to try and breathe it in, you know, because that would probably be happening to people at gas stations all the time, you know. Yeah, and I mean. I don't know what in the forest of Florida could have like naturally produced that. Yeah, I mean, trust me, I have a lot of friends in Florida who, if there was something in the forest that could make you hallucinate like that, they would have found it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like the closest thing that I've ever uh, came across is that um, I was once like walking around the woods with my brother-in-law, and we were uh, he had like it was like the first time that I ever got to like shoot a gun, you know. And he like stops and at like a cow patty and he's just like, oh my God, these are mushrooms, you know? And he grabbed that. That's the closest thing that I've ever heard seen of like, you know, wild uh, psychotropic uh, uh, plants or, you know, what have you being just in, just naturally in the woods, you know? But they don't even do that to you. No, no, not that, not that quickly either, you know? Uh, no. And I, I trust me. I don't. I didn't eat. I didn't, wasn't eating mushrooms at the time that I was fourteen years old. Even though I am from Florida, and everybody thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, let me ask you this then: um, What do you make of this? Um, what do you think happened to you if you had to just look back on this and, like, gun to your head, really take a guess? Yeah. Um... I have, like I said, I'm a, I'm a very simple person when it comes to how I look at the world and everything. You know, I don't believe in auras. I don't believe in ghosts or, you know, astrology or anything like that. Um, and so I've never really had anything close to an answer until I was actually in college at um, CM, uh, Colorado Mountain College. Go Eagles. Um, I had a professor there. It's actually my art history professor. And um, I was having this, I basically, you know, told her the whole story because she was kind of, we were kind of like going back and forth. Like, I can't remember exactly what her story was, but just like, you know, sharing like weird things that have happened to us, you know, and I kind of like described it to her. And I was just like, I know you're going to look at me like I'm crazy, you know, but it is what it is. This is kind of how I experienced it. And I don't, you know, I don't really have an answer for it. And um, uh, she starts talking to me about, like uh, the whole like many worlds theory of uh, quantum mechanics. And um, in particular, one um, kind of like fringe idea that involves with the many worlds theory, which is this thing known as quantum immortality. And um, basically how she described it to me was that, you know, um, there's like a binary relationship between an observer and the observed. And, um, you know, reality itself uh, if there's nothing to um, observe, you know, reality, if there's nothing to be able to see it, then um, you can't 100% prove that it exists, right? And that goes vice versa. You know, if you don't have anything to base your observations off of, then you can't prove that, you know, that you exist. Like if, if you, if I cut off every single one of my senses and then removed my memory, right, I would I would have no frame of reference or anything like that to be able to observe that I actually uh, was here, you know? And she says that she was talking to me and she was basically saying, you know, like whenever you make a decision, she's like, say you're at a cliff, you know, and you're deciding whether or not you're going to jump off the cliff. Um, Whenever you make that decision, 
you know, and the, and the idea of this thought experiment will just say, you know, reality fractures into two, you know, and in, 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 in like the large scale of things, reality like fractures into like a bunch of different possibilities, you know, like infinitesimal amount. But for this thought experiment, we'll just say two, you know, one being where you die and the other one being uh, where you live. You know, she's like, if you, the, the reality that you jumping off the cliff and you die, you know, like that's it. You're not observing anything anymore. You can't observe your own non-existence. So therefore the one that keeps going, you know, is the one where you decide not to jump off the cliff and you continue to observe and therefore reality continues to exist in that dimension. And, um, and she's like, now think about it this way, you know, like imagine you keep walking, you walk away from that first cliff and you keep going on with your life and then you get to another cliff and you have to make the decision on whether or not you're going to jump off. And then again, reality fractures at that point. And then you get to another cliff and then to another cliff and then to another cliff and then to another cliff. So the only way that I would have been able to get concussion, right, is if I, you know, he goes into the woods, you know, I hop off the three-wheeler and what, like I trip on a rock and hit my head on that log or something, you know, like that's not enough force to break that log. And if I did get knocked out, there's no way that I'm just going to jump back up perfectly fine without a welt or a, or a cut or anything on my head um, within the span of two minutes. I've never seen anybody recover from a concussion that quickly or, um, you know, have that level of clarity after it happened, you know? Um, so it's just, I, I have, I, I, I can't, I can't prove that, you know what I mean? Like I can't figure out a common, a, a, a concussion theory, you know, all that I know is that, uh, according to everybody else that was on that job site or, uh, you know, on that, on that plot of land that day working, it never happened. And I'm the only one that experienced it, but yeah. Yeah. How has it affected the way you look at the world? Um, well, uh, one, you know, second chances are awesome. <laughs> so if I, you know, if, uh, if apparently I did die that day, you know, and, um, and I'm now living in like a parallel dimension or whatever, um, I'm pretty thankful that I'm still alive and I'm still kicking and I'm still here. You know, I, uh, I think, um, you know, I, I just try to make sure that I'm always, doing good and like making myself proud in a, in a way, if that makes sense. And, um, so if I, if I had to say, you know, reflecting on that day, what I would say is that, um, there's certain things in your life that you're just never going to get answers to. And, you know, sometimes that's okay because you can, uh, you can drive yourself really, really crazy over obsessing about something that, not only will you never be able to figure out, but also doesn't necessarily need an answer. You know, like I've lived a, a great and uh, successful life so far, in my opinion, without that ever being answered, you know. And at this point, you know, like if anybody has, has a, wants to help me figure it out, that's super cool. But if I never do, you know, I'm okay with that. And, you know, I know in the, word, in the wise words of my grandfather, I know enough to know when I, I, I know enough to know that I don't need to know. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. I think the craziest, maybe the, mo the saddest part of all of this is that, you know, I almost forgot myself that you basically were given a second chance, like as close to yeah. a true miracle as one could ask for. Dying yeah, and yeah. being I hate using drunk. the M word, but you know. <laughs> I mean, it's close to that. I mean, like, yeah. 
the closest thing I've ever heard to that of being given a second life, basically. Like, you died, and then you woke up an hour before, and not, and this didn't happen. And the funny thing is that you didn't even get time to enjoy it. You didn't jump for joy or anything. You were just immediately confused and have been kind of tortured by this confusion ever since. It's like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say tortured, but yeah, definitely it's an, it's kind of annoying, you know? But um, It's funny how we work like that. Yeah, it's if, never good enough, you know, is it? Like, <laughs> nah, yeah, totally right. Um, but I think, like, it, you know, yeah, like calling it a second chance, you know, calling it a gift. In my eyes, you know, that's that's kind of all that matters. Was that, you know, I am here now and I am a gift. You know, uh, well, I mean, I was given a gift, and I don't necessarily need to know who gave it to me. You know, or, um. You know, I just know that the fact that it was given to me, and therefore, I need to. I if any, if I want to say anything like on the moralistic way of how I look at life after this event is that, you know, I I've done my best to honor the fact that I'm still you know around and that, um, you know, that I'm still kicking and living a beautiful life and I'm still able to experience love and um, you know adventure and all of these things. So I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't worry about too much hardcore about, you know, how it happened or, you know, if it was aliens or if it was this or if it was that, you know, like that doesn't, to me, that doesn't necessarily matter as much as the fact that it totally did happen to me. And because of that, you know, I'm still able to sit here today and have the story with you, you know. All right, that brings us to the end of this episode. Like I said, I'm sure everybody has a range of interpretations of this story. For me, I think it's pretty fascinating and profound. Um, I think many people would describe what Russell experienced as a miracle. Russell said that he does not want to use the M word as he, as he described it. But I think a lot of people would look at it as simply that, a great gift. He's flying through the air to his death, and I've never been in that situation, but if I was, I'm sure I'd find myself begging for a second chance. And he was given that. He woke up on the ground completely fine in a different day. I don't know how to explain that, but I'd say that based on his lived experience, he's a very lucky guy. So maybe it's best if he were to just accept it for what it is and be very grateful instead of asking a million questions about it and kind of agonizing about it over the years. But that's kind of in our nature. With that being said, thank you so much to Russell for telling the story. I should point out, we did reach out to little Robert and he was able to confirm the details, but did not want to participate in the podcast itself. So in case you were wondering, yeah, we did talk to little Robert. But thanks again, Russell, for telling the story. This has been episode 16, and you've been listening to Otherworld. Otherworld is executive produced and hosted by myself, Jack Wagner. Our theme song is by Coberman. The soundtrack of this episode is by North Americans. Editing and engineering by Theo Schaefer. The artwork for our show is by Cul-de-Sac Studios. This is an independent show, so please show us your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and telling your friends about the show. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at OtherworldPod on Instagram and Twitter. 
Also, if you or somebody you know has experienced something paranormal, supernatural, or unexplained, you could send us the story at stories at otherworldpod.com. Also, we still have merch for sale. If you want to check that out, it's otherworldpod.com. 